welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Well, Thanksgiving is over, so there's one thing left to say. Uh, Merry Christmas. Rick, it's horrible up here. I'm telling you. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. All right. So as of Thursday, you may officially have put up your tree without fearing the wrath of a holy and a perfect God. If you put your Christmas tree up before Thursday, we're praying for you. And we're going to have a response time here in a little bit. And we would just like to see you flood out in this and just repent for putting up a Christmas tree too early, folks. It is now Christmas season. So we will be beginning our, our Christmas series. And um, I'm excited about this because I love the Christmas season. Like my favorite thing in the world is Christmas lights. And as much as I think Christmas trees should not be up before Thanksgiving, I think Christmas lights should be on Thanksgiving night. We've been wandering around the town and driving around trying to figure out who has the Christmas lights up already because we love to see them. Uh, I love Christmas. I love giving and getting presents. Of course, there's food. You know what? I, Thanksgiving food. You guys know my theory about Thanksgiving food. I've told you this before. It's not good. If it was, we'd eat it more than once a year. Christmas food is good because everything for Christmas has sugar in it. It's the best thing ever. And, and uh, the thing that I love the most is those pictures that some of you will put on Facebook, the matching pajamas pictures. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, the ones where the mom looks so happy, the kids look confused, and the dad looks mad. Those pictures. Like, I love those. But as Christmas is here, like, there's so much stuff to draw our attention away from God. What our Christmas series is always about is trying to draw our attention back to God. Because here's what I fear for us as Christians in America. I fear that sometimes we celebrate the celebration. I fear we get wrapped up in all the things that we do and we forget that we're celebrating the birth of a child. Miss Donna sang a song this morning completely by coincidence and uh, it was the song, the, the second part of the song is What Child Is This? And that's what we're calling this series. And this, this Christmas carol uh, begins with this question that says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet in anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This is the Christmas question. And the question is, what baby are we celebrating with all of this celebration? What baby could possibly draw the attention of angels why would shepherds be there? Who is this child? Because if we're being honest, we don't feel that way about every baby. Like there are babies that have been born in the past 24 hours in the hospital four miles away from here right now. Not a single one of us thought about those children on the way here. Yet we take, we take this time to uh, celebrate the birth of Christ, the birth of this baby, as I'm going to call it through this series, call him through this series, the Christmas child. The chorus answers that and tells us why we celebrate. It says, this, this is Christ the King who shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. So this year, what we'll focus on through our Christmas series is not, I hate to disappoint you, it's not the Christmas story. We're, we're not, we're not going to focus on the ifs and the wins. We're going to focus on what child is this and what does it mean for Christ to be the king? What does it mean for him to grow up and claim to be the king? Because as Jesus gets older, he makes some pretty big claims. Like he starts walking around and people will be like, hey, who's your dad? He's like, God. 
Really, your, your dad is God? Yeah, I don't have an earthly father. My father is in heaven. And later, he gets even more bold, and he begins to say things like, I and the father are one. So now you're not saying that God is your father. You're claiming that you are God. And so when we, we look at this baby and the arrival of this baby, what we're actually celebrating is the fact that God came to earth to be with us. Now you have my attention. But can you back that up? Jesus, are you really who you claim to be? And some of you are a little bit nervous right now. You're like, um, can, you, can you ask that question in church? Like, can we really ask who Jesus is and if he's claim, who he claims to be? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely we can ask that. Two reasons we can ask that is because your Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books are written to answer that exact question. Who is Jesus? Why should we believe in him? That's why those are written. Secondly, we can ask that question because while many of you have grown up in church, many of you have been here your whole life, there are some who are joining us every week and they're still not sure. They're asking that question in their heart. Who is Jesus? What does this mean for me? So yes, we can ask this question and we can answer this question. So in this series, we're looking for proof. Who is Jesus? Can we prove he is who he claims he is? Is there a reason that we celebrate his arrival? And we're going to start with the hardest question of all. Jesus, if you are God, can you do the things that only God can do? Can you control life and death? See, the Bible is very clear that God is the author of life, that he created this. In Genesis 2, you'll see that he created life just by breathing into this body that he created. In multiple places, the Bible tells us that, that when we uh, have a child, that God is who creates life in the womb. We see that God can end life when he wills with just a word or a snap of a finger. But in a few places, we see something that is literally impossible, is that God has the power to restore life back to the dead. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I, I told you I'd meet you in Mark chapter 5. I'll be there here in just a second, but I, I want to look at an instance of this to compare to the story we're going to read today. This is from 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings deals with a guy named Elijah. If you've never heard about him, he is possibly the most awesome person who has ever lived besides Jesus. He's the most awesome regular human being that's ever lived. Uh, Elijah is a prophet, which we learned through Jonah, is what I would call a spiritual mailman. God gives him a message. It says, deliver this to the people. Now, Elijah is a little bit different than Jonah. Sometimes God emphasizes his message through prophets with miracles. And Elijah is one of the prophets where you see that the most. He's very reminiscent of Moses, if you're familiar with Moses from Exodus, Moses has given this uh, message from God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And Moses is like, okay, here's a miracle. Here's a plague to prove that God is sending this message to you. Elijah teaches and preaches in the exact same way. Immediately before we get to the passage we're going to read today, Elijah, Elijah has been lodging with this widow and her son. And he comes up and he says, hey, I want to stay here. And this is the conversation they have. That lady looks at him and says, uh, you can't stay here. We have plans. Uh, what's your plans? He said, she said, well, I've got just enough flour and enough oil to make one loaf of bread. I'm going to find some sticks. I'm going to make a fire. We're going to make this one loaf of bread. And then me and my son are going to go sit in the corner and die. That's my plans for tonight. You thought your Friday nights were bad. And Jonah, or not Jonah, Elijah, as long as he's here with them, he says, you will be taken care of. And every time that lady goes back to her flower pot, there's just enough to make a little bit more bread as long as Elijah is there. 
But we see at the end of this story, or at the beginning of the next part of the story with these people, what happens with Elijah's presence. So this is uh, chapter 17 of uh, 1 Kings, verses 17 through 23. Just listen, and then I'll meet you in Mark 5. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought this tragedy on the uh, tragedy on this widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched out and, and the, on the Lord. Or, let me try that again. Verse twenty-one. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, "O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him." Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul returned to the child. Uh, the soul of the child came back to him, and he was revived. Your first take-home truth today is that only God has the power to restore life to the dead. Only God has power to restore life to the dead. So in this story, we see this, this young man dies. The, the lady comes to Jonah, or to Jonah. I'm so hung up on Jonah, guys. The lady comes to Elijah and begins to, you know, kind of tell him, like, this is your fault. You came here. We were fine. You came here. And now my son died. And this hits Elijah right where he lives, that this woman would experience this amount of pain. And so what he does is he takes this child and he takes him upstairs and says, let me, let me have the body. Let me go try something. And he goes upstairs and he cries out to God and said, God, bring life back to this child. And this child comes back to life. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like, is this like CPR? Like the child has been revived? And the answer to that is no. This is not the same thing as CPR or what we do now with a defibrillator where we shock somebody's heart. We think they're dying and we try to revive them. This child is dead. D-E-A, dead, gone. The Bible tells us that the soul of the child had left and that it comes back. And so what we see here is an actual miraculous moment of somebody who was dead, beyond gone. They're never coming back. They come back to life. This is the first time ever in the history of human beings we see somebody cross over to death and come back. And what I want to notice about this is that while Elijah is here, Elijah couldn't do this. Elijah didn't do this. Elijah in no way claimed to have brought this child back to life. He takes this child upstairs and what does he do? He cries out to God and says, God, please, please put life back in this child because God, only you can do it. Now, let me tell you, if Elijah, the most prolific prophet of the Old Testament, cannot bring life back to death, there is no man that can. So when Jesus enters the scene, when we see this Jesus of Nazareth, this, this Christmas child, if he is who he says he is, he should have this power that only God has. And here's what you see in the Gospels. Three different times does Jesus walk up to someone who is dead, gone, never coming back. We're getting ready for a funeral. Three different times he walks up to them and he says, come back to life. And they do. You see one of those with the story we all know, uh, the story of Lazarus. We see another one in Luke 7, a young boy is brought to life. But today we're going to focus in Mark 5, one of my favorite stories ever. So if you've got your Bibles open, read with me. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. 
Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Hold on just a second. Mark likes to do something here that I like to call a story sandwich. He starts a story and then he'll tell another story in the middle of it and then he'll come back to the story. So at this point of the story, the story kind of stops for a second. And let me just tell you what's in the middle. It's one of my favorite stories ever. We don't have time for it. As Jesus is running to get to Jairus' daughter, this lady who has been very sick for a long time has decided, if I can just reach out and touch Jesus' sleeve as he walks by, I will be healed. And when she does that, she's immediately healed, but Jesus knows what happened and he stops. And he's in the midst of having this conversation with her. Now you got to think about Jarius. Jarius is going, come on, let's go. We're in a hurry. My daughter is dying. We don't have time for this woman. And, and that's where we are when the story picks back up of Jarius in verse 35. It says, while he, that's Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. So Jesus is on his way. He is now stopped. He's talking to this lady in the middle of the road. And at that moment, all of Jairus' friends come meet him and they are bearing the bad news. Jairus, it is too late. There is nothing that is going to fix your daughter now. She has passed away. She is at the point where she is gone. No doctor is going to fix her. No miracle worker is going to fix her. The only person who could possibly fix her, and he's only done it ever like three times, is God. Now you've got to think for just a second what Jarius is going through. In this moment, Jarius would have entered the first stage of grief, which is shock and denial. He would have, I, I don't know what Jarius did. The Bible doesn't tell us. As a father, I really feel Jarius in this moment. I can tell you what I would do. I would melt onto the floor. He's going through all these scenarios. No, this can't be true. He's dealing with the fact that he failed to save his daughter. He, he's now being gripped by anger that I will never see my daughter again. And then Jesus here, Jesus says something to him. Now, I want to stop for just a second. If Jesus of Nazareth, if this Christmas child is an ordinary man, even if he's a great, great prophet, that's the end of the story. We didn't get there in time to save her life. But Jesus is not an ordinary man, and he's going to prove it to us. Our, our second take-home truth is, if Jesus is only a man, every story ends with death. But Jesus, he speaks, the story continues. He says to Jairus, do not be afraid. Control your reaction. Don't be overwhelmed with what's going on here. I'm going to give you an alternative. Only believe, Jairus. Jairus, I know what they just said. Don't worry about it. Jairus, I know what they said. Don't, don't be scared. It's okay. Jairus, all I want you to do right now is believe. Believe in what? Believe that they're wrong? Believe that they, that they lied to me? These are my friends and there's multiple of them. There's, there's no way that they're mistaken. I can't believe that my daughter isn't gone. So what Jesus is saying is, believe in me. Believe that I have the power to make this different. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Only God can restore life to the dead. Jairus, believe that I can do this. If I'm Jairus, that moment of belief is not just Jesus can fix this. It's that Jesus can fix this because he is God. Because he is somebody special. Because he can do what only God can do. Let's continue reading verses 37 through 43. 
And he permitted, this is Jesus, and Jesus permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. Loudly. When he came in, he said to them, one of them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. So here's the story. Jesus gets to the house, and when he gets there, there's this huge commotion going on. There are mourners there. Now, in this culture, you have to understand, their way of grieving, their funeral process, is they would go out and they would hire people who would stand in the house, that would scream loudly, they would cry, and they would wail. Somebody would bring a trumpet, and they would blow that. And that served a bunch of purposes. One, it helped people begin to break down and to mourn the death of somebody they loved. Two, it was an announcement to everybody in the community that this household is undergoing loss. And three, 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 it was a status symbol. The, the more important you were, the more people you would have here. Because Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, very likely there was a lot of people here. Now, what's important about this is, once again, I want to remind you, this isn't like CPR. We hear stories of someone who was clinically dead for two minutes. They got brought back. But, but in this moment, what we see is that the people in this household have had time to go retrieve Jairus and Jesus and bring them back. Other people in the household have had time to go to the, to the funeral home or to, to some equivalent of that to hire these mourners, to bring them back. They've had time to set up and start doing what they do for a living. So the funeral has already started. This little girl has been dead a long time. But when Jesus walks in, he challenges them. He's like, is this... Is this necessary? Should we be doing this right now? And then he says this, the girl is not dead, the girl is sleeping. Now we have to stop and deal with that for just a second because there seems to be like a contradiction here. Seems to be a contradiction in what we're hearing. We've heard she's absolutely dead, the funeral has started, but then we're also hearing Jesus say, no, no, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And that doesn't quite make sense. What's Jesus saying? Uh, could you read that and say, well, well, Jesus knows that she's not dead, she's in a coma. She's, she's not conscious, but she's in a coma. That's not true. Could it be this girl is 12? You guys know how teenagers sleep. They sleep like they're dead till like 12 o'clock in the morning or in the afternoon. They, they never wake up. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No, he's not talking about that. Jesus, Jesus here is careful to say what he's about to do. And here's the reason why. This girl is very clearly dead. Everybody knows it. And he's about to walk into her room and call her back to life. That's going to get some attention. People are going to say, hey, you guys were having a funeral for that girl, and I just saw her running down to the market to buy milk. What happened? And the family's going to have to point to Jesus and say, this man has the power of life over death. That must, be that, he, that must mean that he is God. And Jesus at this moment is not ready for that yet. Because once that gets out, once Jesus does that miracle in the public eye, that is going to set off a series of events that Jesus doesn't want to happen yet. And we see that happen in the uh, book of John when he calls Lazarus from the dead. 
There's no secret when Jesus calls Lazarus that they have buried Lazarus in a tomb. He walks up to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes walking out completely fine. And it's seen by everybody. And here's what John tells us is the effects of that moment. Is that the people who hated Jesus begin to plot to murder him. They begin to plot to murder Lazarus. And people began to worship Jesus as the Lord. In the book of John, immediately after this is when we see the triumphal entry. When Jesus then goes into the last week of his life that ultimately ends in his crucifixion and his death. And it begins with the fact that he raised somebody from the dead. So Jesus isn't ready for this yet. And he tells the family, don't tell anybody what we're going to do. Now, this creates another problem. I know why Jesus said that. I know why Jesus would say, no, the, the girl is not dead. She's sleeping. But now we have to ask this question. Okay, she's dead, but Jesus says she's not dead. And Jesus is supposed to be perfect. Did Jesus tell a lie? And the answer to that is the same. No, Jesus, Jesus did not lie. See, to Jesus, he has this divine knowledge. And to him, there's no difference. What's the difference between sleeping and death? When Oakley was six, seven weeks old, um, I don't know how many of you remember this, but when your kids are young, like you don't sleep at all. So you're up all hours of the night. And even though my wife did the majority of the work, I was still up all hours of the night with this, this crying baby. And one night we put her to bed, Jessica Fetter. We put Oakley to bed in her little crib at the end of our bed at like 11 p.m. And the next morning, Jessica and I both started to kind of move around and started to wake up about 6 a.m. And we looked at each other and there was this moment of realization. Nobody's been up all night. What is wrong with our daughter? And, and we rushed to the crib to see if she was still alive. What is, what is the way that we do that? Some people put their hand down there. Is she still breathing? I don't do that. I walk over there and I poke her. Like, I want you to wake up. I want you to scream. She's three years old. If I'm worried about her, I'll still walk into her room and poke her while she's asleep to make sure she wakes up. Like the difference between sleeping and death is whether or not you wake up. And Jesus knows in this moment, he, he knows, is she physically dead? Is she like medically dead? Yes, but Jesus knows here in just a second, her death is temporary because I'm going to walk in, I'm going to grab her by her hand, and she's going to wake up. The third take-home truth that we have here is that Jesus has the power to restore life to the dead. See, no one can do this except for Jesus, but to Jesus, it wasn't difficult at him. So he walks up to this little girl, to the body of this little girl. He takes her hand. And here's what's different between Jesus and the way somebody came back to life for Elijah. Jesus doesn't call out to God. Jesus doesn't pray. Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Based on my authority, based on who I am, based on what I have the capability of doing, because I have the power over life and death, little girl, you can get up. And immediately this little 12-year-old girl hops back up and comes back to life. Who is it that the dead obey? It could only be God. Your fourth take-home truth is that the Christmas child, Jesus proves that he is God by overcoming death. Now, I love this story. As I said earlier, I'm a girl dad. I'm a daddy. I, I, I admit to you, I sat in my office this week preparing this message, and I cried reading this story and thinking about what Jarius was going through in this moment. But, but I want you to understand that this story and Jesus' ability to overcome death with life is not the main point. This is what we would call in the literary world, we would call foreshadowing. 
Because what Jesus is showing us is a picture, not of what he's doing now, but a picture of what he's about to do in the future. Because not very long after this, jealous is, or Jesus is brutally murdered by jealous religious people. And the Bible tells us he was dead. Like, like the scripture goes into detail. He was whipped beyond survival. A lot of the things that the scripture tells us about crucifixion is told to us so that we know he could not have survived this. He was hung on a cross. He was stabbed on the side. And he was buried for three days. But after three days, he gets up. Nobody called him to get up. He just got up. This is from Mark 16. I want to, I want to read you that story. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun had risen, and they said amongst themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. This is uh, the weirdest thing I've ever done in the middle of a Christmas series, is preach the Easter story, the resurrection. But I, I want to take that phrase there, he is risen, for just a second. The, the Greek word for risen is egyro, egyro. And that is the exact same word that Jesus used when he spoke to the little girl. And he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. Little girl, I say to you, egyro. And what that word means, it doesn't mean, hey, get up. It means to be awakened from sleep. Of his own power, he awakened himself from death. And that's why we celebrate this birth. We're not celebrating the birth of a child. We're celebrating the arrival of a man who can overcome death. We're not celebrating, uh, the, the, we're not celebrating the arrival of a child. We're celebrating that God came to us. And we celebrate most of all what this means for his promise to us. See, Jesus promised us this. This is from John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So that's believers, people that belong to him. Listen to what he promises us. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Here's what Jesus is saying with his life, with his actions and with his words. I can defeat death and I offer my ability to defeat death to anyone who chooses to believe in me. Your last take-home truth is Jesus offers to defeat our death and give us eternal life. It's interesting, when you look in the New Testament, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, not always, but many times, I might even say most of the times, when the Scripture addresses a believer who has died, who has gone on, it uses the euphemism of sleep or sleeping. Now, I can't prove it. I'm not sure but I would like to think that comes from the story of this little girl when Jesus said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. She's not gone forever. She will rise again. And what Jesus promises us to those who believe him, if our musicians start to come this way, please, promises to those who believe in him is that he will give us that same ability that one day, though we may die, one day he will bring us to life. Now the question is, how do we get this? How do we get this eternal life that Jesus has promised us? He told Jairus the exact answer. He told Jairus, he says, do not be afraid, but only believe. 
And throughout all of the scripture, what the Bible teaches us about this Jesus is that he gives eternal life, not to those who earn it, not to those who go to church enough, not to those who are good enough, but those who will place their faith and their belief in him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish. And so as we celebrate Christmas, as we go into this, where I want to start with our Christmas series is not there's a beautiful baby in a manger in Bethlehem. I want to start with, do you have a reason to celebrate this child? Do you have a reason in this season to be excited and to remember what it means that he came here to give you eternal life? If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have that yet, today can be the day. It's so simple. All you have to do is ask for it. The Bible says if you will receive eternal life, he will give it to you. And if that's you this morning, I just want to ask you, I want to beg you, don't leave here without doing that. Let's stand in worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.